Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. There's not too much to report on this week because I think people are still just recovering from the holidays and getting back into their projects, but I do have a bunch of fun stuff, so let me just jump right into it. First up, My Life in Gaming just uploaded a really great video about ROM carts that are available for different consoles. They covered a good amount of them and they had great info, so if you've never used a ROM cart before and kind of wanted to see what it was all about, or if you have but just wanted a different perspective, I highly recommend the video. The only one thing that I'm not sure that they got right was they mentioned that most of them were only compatible with 32GB SD or microSD cards. And I know from personal experience that the SD to SNES will definitely work with a 64-bit card, 64GB card, as long as you format it with FAT32. Um, and there's kind of a special way you have to do that in order for it to work. I would assume that any other ROM card that uses a FAT32 file system would be the same. I just don't have everything with me to test, so if anybody has the ability to, uh, just let me know in the comments and see which other ones are compatible. You just need to make sure to format it the exact way using FAT32 formatter on a Windows machine. So uh, I have links in the description to both my uh, their video, my ROM card page, and how to use the SD formatter. Uh, so if anybody wants, just let me know if it works for them. Next, Mario Kart 64 is now available on the Wii U Virtual Console, but in my opinion, it's kind of weird timing. I mean, I own a Wii U, and I, I very much enjoy playing Mario Kart 64, but I would never buy that right now. I would wait for the Switch to come out just in a few months. So let me know you guys' thoughts on that, and if anybody bought it and tried it out, or if anybody would even buy another Virtual Console game on the Wii U, knowing that the next generation is just around the corner. Next, the 240p test suite just had an update for the NES version. The developer Teples, who ported it from Artemio's original build, has just added a zapper test and a few other functions that are still in beta. One of them that's pretty neat is being able to use the microphone of an original Famicom as a lag tester, kind of like Artemio did with the Dreamcast and the, the microphone for that. So I'll keep testing it and uh, just hugely appreciative to all the work these guys put in because all of these test tools just make my life much easier as well as pretty much anybody else that develops on any of these old consoles. So thanks again and uh, I can't wait to try out the zapper test. I feel like that'll definitely come in handy. Next, Akari, the creator of the SD to SNES ROM cart, just posted a guide on how to upgrade the audio op amp on those cartridges. So basically, if you have one and you use MSU audio files, um, then they're probably going to be fine as long as you patch them for the SD to SNES. But if you play ones that were patched for emulation, or if you want to use the same patches between both, then you might want to upgrade the audio amp just to be a little bit louder. So he has a guide on how to do it, and it doesn't seem too complicated. Me personally, I'm going to leave mine alone. It works fine. I have zero complaints at all about it. But I imagine this would be a lot of help for people that want to use uh, both patches, or if you have a very old version of the SD2 SNES and want to update the audio. 
Super G just announced that his 4 to 1 component video switch should be for sale soon. That's the one called the G Comp Switch that does both composite video and component video, and it's an auto switcher. Um, right now, he has about 10 prototypes that he should put up for sale in January just to get through the last bit of testing. That way, you know, people could buy the prototypes, test them out, and iron out any last minute bugs, and then they should be up for sale pretty soon after that. Um, he's not 100% sure on the price yet, but as always, he's trying to keep the price as low as possible. So I should have a review of that out soon, and I'll post any info when both the prototypes go on sale as well as the actual production versions. There's another small update to the VerisNest project, that's that FPGA-based Super Nintendo. So it's just another update video with more features added, but uh, I always really enjoy watching his progress, and I do hope it comes to be an actual product we could buy eventually, because it's looking really promising. Next, Darksoft posted an update about his Neo Geo ROM cart. He said over 100 games are confirmed working, and he's still working out a few bugs. I guess one of them took over three weeks to fix, but he's pretty much there and almost able to post a full video that shows exactly how long each ROM will take to load and the full version of the menu and how that'll look. So I'm pretty excited. Um, as soon as that's available for pre-order, I will tweet and put on Facebook and let everybody know, and I'll definitely be getting one into test as well. So I'm glad there's finally progress on Neo Geo ROM carts. We could all start playing those games without spending $1,000 each. This next tip was actually emailed in by Aaron, and he sent me a link to Mecomsoft's website that shows that they're now offering a Euroscart connector as an option. So for a long time, whenever you bought a FrameMeister, you could only get it with the JP21 to FrameMeister adapter cable, and you would have to buy one from somebody online. Now, for just $8 more, you could actually get it with a Euroscart option instead of the JP21. So anybody looking to buy one, um, that's probably the way to go, just because it's easier to get those cables and switches for them and things like that. Also, um, they're selling them for about $320. So somebody should probably pass that information over to those asshole eBay sellers trying to sell them for $1,000 or more. And are some other crazy prices. So hopefully none of it, nobody is dumb enough to buy those, and those sellers could just sit on those forever. But it's cool that Mecomsoft is listening and actually making stuff that uh, helps us. And who knows, maybe their next generation of upscalers will be able to have all this stuff built in. So thanks for the tip. And lastly, somebody else sent in a great tip. Thanks to Jeremy for letting us know that Retro USB just posted on their Facebook page that they're AVP. So it's basically like the AVS, their FPGA-based Nintendo, but portable. So the P stands for portable. Um, that's still in progress, um, and uh, Brian updated a little bit of what he thought the specs would be. So he's still aiming for around $250. Uh, it's going to have a battery that has 8 to 15 hours of playtime, depending on the cart and backlight settings, and that's going to be charged over mini-USB. Um, and it should use the same micro-switch buttons as his wireless gamepads. Um, and also, the scan lines can be added, but they look a little darker than on the AVS because the pixels are doubled instead of tripled. Um, also, he posted on his timeline a poll on how many people would pay 250 for the AD AVP. Um, how many people that would pay that think adjustable turbo is a very important feature? Um, also, he made a comment on being on too many drugs to figure it out, but uh, he's not just sitting there getting stoned. I believe he actually had another surgery, and he's just kind of recovering. So uh, I'm sure if you send him silly pictures on his Facebook page to make him laugh, now's the time because he's probably high as hell. 
Okay, on to the Q&As. Um, a lot of people had actually been asking about the Verisness. That's the Super Nintendo FPGA system. Um, and I just want to stress that there is no guarantee that that's ever going to be a product. Um, that's something somebody's working on all by themselves. Um, they're posting their, their progress on YouTube and on the Nest Dev forum, and there's no info at all. It's just one person's personal project. So I got a ton of emails asking if it's going to be both HDMI and RGB, what the features are. Um, either, I mean, either 20 people emailed me about it or it's the same person emailing me from different places, but, um, there's no, there's no info on it at all. It's just a personal project. So, um, I want it as badly as you guys do, but, uh, I would just be respectful on the fact that it's one person just doing their own thing. Um, and hopefully, you know, if he would like to actually make that a product, I'm sure we'll all step up to the plate and help, um, regardless of what he needs for it. But I'll post any updates that I find, and if you want to follow the project directly, just follow the link in the description to his YouTube video and to the Nest Dev page. The guys from HD Retrovision posted in the comments last week. I guess when I announced that their cables coming up this summer might have the sync jitter fix, uh, I got that wrong. It does have the sync jitter fix. So just a very quick rundown of what that is again. Um, these are the cables that go from, at the moment, Super Nintendo and Genesis uh, to component video. Um, I've always recommended them for people with CRTs with component inputs because they look great. But there was an issue with some flat screen TVs where you'd kind of get like a jittery picture on the screen. And they did fix it for the production run that's going to happen this summer. So I guess last week I said, uh, you know, they might be. So what they actually posted in the comments was, we actually did manage to implement a jitter fix for the next production run of the cables. It was a matter of cleaning up the rising edge part of the sync signal, which TVs aren't supposed to trigger off of for standard def content. Everything we've tested so far has worked with a fix. So, awesome news. Glad it's uh, it's all working better now, and sorry for screwing up the announcement. Thanks, guys. Next, Emmett Turner posted in regards to the discussion about dumping cartridges to ROMs. He said a lot of scene dumping was done with a chip programmer and desoldered ROM chips, especially with hard-to-copy special chip games. That's how most NES and a lot of SNES dumps are made, and it's also how Console Classics dumps their games. Many chimps... Chips require adapters, but that's easy. That's pretty cool. Um, I've seen the opposite. I've seen the chip programmers that you use uh, if you want to program your own games, but I didn't realize that's how a lot of people actually ripped them from the cartridge to a ROM. So, cool. Thanks for the info. Next, Brad Kincaid asked if there was any update on the GSCART Switch Lite, which is a stripped-down version of the GSCART Switch, so it's still an 8-port auto-switch, but there's just one SCART output, no other crazy features. Um, and I talked to Super G on a regular basis, and it looks like it's still on track for a late January release. I don't know if that means that's when the pre-order starts or if you'll actually have any ready, but anytime there's solid info, um, I'll both post immediately on social media and talk about it in the news. So this is still just us, you know, going back and forth talking. I guess this isn't, you know, official release dates, but basically it looks like it's still on time and I'll get one in as soon as it's available. Next, Robotic Clone was asking if I knew of any other good uh, retro video game stores. Um, and the ones that I've been going to for a long time were Retro Games Plus out of Connecticut. It's, uh, I had Chris, the owner, on it for an interview. Um, Brooklyn Video Games in Brooklyn. Uh, I was only there once, but it seemed great. Um, I hope to interview the owner of that store as well soon. 
Um, but for the most part, I have not had great luck with video game stores, especially in Manhattan. And a lot of it is, you know, in Manhattan, your rent is 20 times more than everywhere else. So, of course, everything in your store has to be more expensive, otherwise you can't make a living. But that doesn't mean I'm going to pay the prices. Um, I was just in a store in the village a couple days ago that were selling unmodded Atari 2600s for 130 and unmodded SNESs for 150 not complete in box, not mint condition, just basic run of the mill. You can get them, you know, you can get them on eBay for 50 bucks consoles. So I'll definitely always mention when I go to a place that I really like, but um, I would just assume that, you know, most places have to make their living off of it, and you're not going to find very many great deals at them, unless it's the ones that we all know, like the two stores I just mentioned. Um, and anytime I go visit one, uh, I'll definitely, you know, just do a quick little video of it and show everybody. I know my friend Justin, aka the Goodwill Hunter, he lives out in Georgia, and he's found a couple of honest places out there that, uh, you know, that are really great. And uh, I think there's one in Denver as well that I know of. I'm sure they're all over the place, but basically I'll always do a quick little video whenever I go to a, a someplace that I like that I think, you know, does a good job and sells, you know, fair prices for consoles and stuff. And lastly, Daniel Blackthe, sorry, I probably screwed that up as usual. Um, he posted in regards to the MSX to SMS games on a Genesis, and he was talking about the different video modes that are available on the video chip that this, those Sega systems used. And he said, Genesis doesn't have video modes 0 to 3, which were used in SG-1000 games and a few Master System games. It only has mode 4, which was used in most Master System games, and mode 5, which was Genesis mode. So I actually had forgotten all about that. I feel kind of dumb for forgetting it, because that's the exact reason why F-16 Fighting Falcon is the only um, Master System game that won't work on the Genesis through the Power Base Converter. That's that card game that runs on the SG-1000 mode, um, so that's why it won't work through the power base converter. That's also why ROMs like the original Safari Hunt, the light gun game, won't work through a ROM cart uh, on the Genesis. You'd actually have to use that in the combo games that they sent. So I think it was um, Marksman Shooting, Trap Shooting, Safari Hunt, all in one ROM. Uh, so yeah, I completely forgot about that, but thank you for reminding me, and that, uh, you know, it's good info, and it also explains why anybody with a ROM cart uh, wouldn't be able to use certain games on Genesis that they would on a Master System. Okay, up next I have an interview with Moto. He's one of the guys that's been working on some of the Zelda hacks. Um, I'm sure you've heard his name mentioned both in the interview with Khan and with Retro Dan on some of the people working on the MSU1 stuff, um, helping with the audio patches. And his latest thing is that he just kind of uh, updated Zelda Parallel Worlds. So we get into detail about exactly what he did and his role in it, but um, I've been seeing his name pop up a lot. I've used a lot of the stuff that he's put out there, so I'm really glad to finally actually talk with him you know, in, in person over Skype. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as I did, because it, it's a lot of great insight into kind of what you go through to do these patches and kind of, uh, you know, how we got here. And, and it's a lot of detail about the game Parallel Worlds, which I've always been kind of intrigued with. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, as always, comments and feedback in the um, down below in the comments are always appreciated, and I'll see you next week. Hey guys, I'm here with Ben, a.k.a. QWERTYMOTO, the developer of a whole bunch of really cool Zelda hacks and a bunch of other stuff. How's it going, man? It's going good, thanks. 
So uh, I really wanted you to talk, uh, wanted you on here to talk about the very latest patch you have, but I also kind of want to hear about all the other stuff you've worked on, because I think <laughs> I've been, you know, playing your ROM hacks for many, many years now. So, uh, I mean, I guess, how did you get started at all this, and, you know, what was your main focus? Well, um, it, it, it's kind of cool that um, Parallel Worlds is the, the one that's out right now. That's kind of actually the thing that, that got me all started on this. Mm-hmm. Um back several years ago it, it all started because I wanted a, a repro cart mm-hmm. and um, you know I started looking around and, and seeing kind of how the repro cart community works and how uh, the the learning curve for making repro carts is is rather steep right. but not ver- but not very high it's like a six-foot cliff <laughs> and uh, you know and you, you get over that edge and uh, the, there's the people up top who know how to do it and then they kind of kick rocks at the people down below try and keep them down um, so they don't realize that um, repro carts aren't worth a hundred bucks <laughs> yeah I mean uh, I, I found that for a while I have to agree mm-hmm. but lately um, you know or yeah I guess the, the what is that the the loudest voice isn't always the majority or is very yeah, yeah I screw that up but uh, uh, yeah, yeah you're right though a lot of the guys that are trying to push these online would charge an insane amount but guys like uh, Leon K and uh, SNES reproductions yeah, there, and stuff there's definitely guys who are doing quality work and, they, um, and they've been I, doing I it for a the... while and they've never been ripping people off but they're not yeah. the loudest voices so all these other guys yeah. get to trump no, I, I don't mean to I, I don't mean to throw shade on, on the guys who are doing a good job but there's just a lot of people out there that yeah. are not and, no, I'm glad and you so I didn't want to you're right there are a lot of guys out there that want to charge an insane amount of money for some of these yeah so so I wanted something that I knew was going to be you know quality but also even for the quality ones I, I didn't really want to pay the, the price so mm-hmm. I, I looked at it and I was like I, I think I could do this and and I started trying to, to make it, and it, it was about three years before I actually got around to making that cart, but in that, in that three years, I, I changed majors. Uh, I was a software developer, and I, when I started digging into some of the stuff, I realized I actually liked the hardware stuff. So I, I picked up a hardware degree. Uh, oh, yeah. A whole bunch of, what was yeah. the degree? Um, well, okay, I didn't, I didn't pick up a degree. I picked up a major. Okay. So um, I'm still still working on the degree, but um, now I'm dual hardware and software in the computer engineering department. That's awesome. Um, so so that kind of like spawned a whole bunch of really fun interests in in the hardware hacking side of things, um, building a, an add-on board for the NES RGB to do comp- um, component output through the Wii multi-out. Yeah, yeah, um, that's pretty cool. I remember that. Yeah, so lots. It, it spawned a whole bunch of really fun projects and stuff. And like I said, it was about three years before I actually got around to making that cart. Um, and then um, I don't remember how I originally ended up on the Zeldix board, mm-hmm. but it was right about the time that Khan was working on his uh, original MSU One Zelda hack. Okay. And so I, I joined right about the time when that was all happening, and that was really what spawned my interest in the Super NES ROM hacking. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Khan doesn't write source code. He just writes code straight into the file. Right. And and that just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> um, and, and at the time, a lot of people were trying to, to do their own um, MSU hacks of other games, but because Khan didn't write source code, there wasn't any um, reference for people to use. 
so I, I decided to disassemble that code and, and post the, the source code online so that people could um, kind of use that as a reference for other games. I don't know if anybody ever actually did use it, but it was a, it was a fun exercise to do. I'm pretty sure and, people did, because there were a lot more of those MSU1 hacks after you started releasing all that. Yeah, and I, I know Darkshock also posted a couple of his, um, mm. and I think I think people used a lot of that too. So, um, either way, um, that that was my first foray into actual SNES coding. Um, even though I didn't write any code, I just did the disassembly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, after hanging out on the Zelda boards more, I uh, found a bunch of Khan's other code that he'd written. Um, he's got another patch that he calls the all-in patch. And it's a whole bunch of odds and ends of cool, um, like, item modifications and some new items and and things like that that um, he, he did kind of as a tech demo. Mm-hmm. But he put them all into this all-in patch just to show off everything all at once. Um, but it's not really designed to be a game that you play. It, it's designed for other hack authors to play around with these features that he created. Right. And then all of those hacks are available separately, and then if you like them, you can you know, go merge them into your hack. That's very cool. It's glad, I'm glad everybody kind of shares like that. Um, just yeah. to back up for a second, though, so for people that aren't familiar, Zeldix is basically a forum that's dedicated to a link to the past hacking. Is it? It's not just a link to the past, though. It's basically... It, it started out as Zelda. a link to the past, and then um, I, I think it kind of branched out um, from there. Uh, I think it was originally a, a closed forum, and then around the time that uh, the MSU one patch came out, then they I think they opened it up some more. I, I could be wrong about that, but yeah, and some of them actually keep opening and locking up again because I've been following one of them, and then I get an update and it said closed to administrators only. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I keep forgetting to email Con about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, excuse me, I was probably gonna make a loud noise. Shockingly, no, it's not a beer. It's just a Coca Cola this time. <laughs> but. Um, so, uh, and on that website is where a lot of these collaborators all meet to just uh, kind of talk about their different hacks and, um, and to post the t- tools that they use. And I've read through a lot of them, and I, I'm not a software engineer, so a lot of it's just like looking at hieroglyphics to me, to be honest with you. But I do have enough grasp of software development where I'm not completely lost all the time. And it looks like you guys get pretty crazy in depth with some of those. Some of it, yeah. Um, like, some of the guys there have done, like, I don't know if Math on Napkins is really active there, but, like, he's done a full disassembly of the entire game. And, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, lots of really good documentation and lots of good information on there of how a lot of this stuff works and, and where some of the code is for, for various stuff and, and the different uh, data values and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was immensely helpful throughout you know, all of this. Um, so your recent release is <clears throat> Parallel Worlds version 1.2, correct? Mm-hmm. Now, you weren't the original developer behind that, correct? That was Ceph no. and... Um, and Euclid. Euclid. Right. So yeah. I remember that distinctly as just being insanely hard. Because I, I love Zelda, <laughs> yes. but I'm not some speedrunner. I can't do any of the crazy, you know, do the whole thing without using the sword like a lot of those guys do. But... Um, so, uh, but this 
Parallel Worlds has been kind of ported a little bit. Now there was Parallel Worlds remodeled. There was um, mm-hmm. one or at least one other one that was branched off from this. Correct. I don't. I don't know of any other branches. Um, I know Red Scorpion did a German translation of it. Um, That's right. That's what I was thinking of. The German translation. Okay. That was the same. The same thing. So. Yeah. Um, Basically, what you did on 1.2, if I gathered that correctly, was that you just kind of went through and ironed out some of the bugs um, because it's a, a 10-year it's a 10-year anniversary of it when you released mm-hmm. it. it. Was December 31st, uh, 20 or 2006, right? Yes. So that was the um, original. What were some of the bugs that you worked on and some of the changes that you made in this one? Well, the, a lot of the changes, like this, where this project originally came from, um, like I was talking about cons all in patch Mm -hmm. um and how that was not designed to be a a game for people to play so i kind of had this crazy idea i was like well what if i took this all in patch and turned it into a game for people to play you know not not changing i don't i didn't want to make a whole new storyline i didn't want to make new dungeons i didn't want to make all this new stuff but just give people the new features Mm -hmm. um it had things like um the Ancient Stone Tablets Pegasus Boots, which allowed you to change direction and continue running, or continue running between screens. Um, it had uh, it had the MSU1 audio. It had, uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember which ones I, I kept, but um, just kind of a whole list of just these, just these little changes um, that ended up being a lot of fun. Oh, um, being able to break pots with your sword and collect items with your sword, um, stuff like that. Very and cool. so that turned into um, what eventually was a link to the past DX. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, then I was playing a link to the past DX, and then I went and switched over and played Parallel Worlds, and I realized I kind of missed a lot of those features. Right. And I want so Parallel Worlds 1.2 basically started from me trying to port a link to the past DX to Parallel Worlds, gotcha. and just bring those changes over. So you were, you were the main developer on Link to the Past DX. <clears throat> Yes. That's what I thought. There's a lot of you guys that... Um, well, Con, Con wrote most of the code, but mm-hmm. I was I was the one who put it together into DX, yeah. Gotcha. So that's... Um, I believe I played through most of that once, but that was when I was going through... Uh, when I first got my SD to SNES, and I, I just went crazy with ROM hacks, um, and I don't think I finished it because I was just going through to see different ones, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, all the little changes were like... You know, if you'd never played a Zelda game before and you played A Link to the Past, like I did as a kid, oh, I'd played the other Zelda, but like if you'd never played the SNES Zelda, A Link to the Past you'd think was perfect until you play DX. And then all those cool little features are just, I don't know, I, I like it. It makes it, you know, little things like turning with the Pegasus boots and stuff like that, just very cool stuff to do. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Didn't that have an MSU1 patch as well? Yes, it did. Um... And, uh, yeah, so that that was another thing is I actually put out my own MSU1 audio pack. Um, somebody else, uh, I think it was the Retromancer, mm-hmm. Retro Dan, um, did, a, did a pack based on um, the Zelda reorchestrated soundtrack. And Which was I put the one out you a, used? I, I put out the one that's based on the A Link Between Worlds soundtrack. Gotcha, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, is there a specific name for that one? Because I know some of these namings are, are very close to each other, so I would assume you get it on romhacking.net, correct? Uh, 
not the audio pack or not the audio pack. Okay. The the audio pack they're like 700 megabytes a piece and right right and they right. won't and they won't host those on romhacking.net because they are full audio files and right and actually most know. of these are getting compiled <clears throat> into the smoke monster packs um, and if whatever's missing I'll make sure to get him because those are those have been pretty invaluable for people with uh, SD to SNES carts but um, okay. for people... I, I hadn't actually heard of that so I'll have to take a look at his stuff oh really yeah he's basically um, I just had him on as an interview uh, two weeks ago so if you want to check that out that probably okay. pretty much explains it all but it's basically one dude that <clears throat> got tired of doing what all of us did and downloading different ROMs and hoping they would work on an EverDrive and he created mm -hmm. all of these packages himself that have all the ROMs you need and then he started making a lot of the MSU ones and he credits everybody he doesn't call mm -hmm. them you know my smoke monster pack right. he'll, he'll say you know Zelda DX by QWERTY MOTO um, mm -hmm. But he has them up available to download from different places, so that way you don't have to go through the trouble. Because the first time I did an MSU one patch, it was like, it was really confusing. And then once you mm -hmm. get it down, it takes a minute to do, but still right. um, makes it easier for everybody. So I've been kind of helping him uh, all the ones that I come across, and uh, I want to make sure that I get the different ones up there. So your okay. link to the past DX with the um, uh, link between world soundtrack. What exactly mm -hmm. was that one called, or can you provide us with a link to it afterwards? Well, um, the so the soundtracks are interchangeable. You can just swap out the music packs. And as far as I know, I think there's only two full music packs that I know of for a link to the past. Okay. There's there's the Zelda reorchestrated one, and there's the link between worlds one. Okay. <clears throat> and um, another thing I'm doing is um, I don't know if you remember. Uh, a while back when uh, the SD to SNES wasn't loud enough on MSU1. Yes. And they it, they started having to put out separate patches for the... There was the MSU... Or, sorry, the, the emulator version and the SD to SNES version. Correct, yeah. Well, now there's a, there's a patch for the SD to SNES that boosts up the volume, so those are no longer necessary. But that actually caused some more issues, and um, we're having to re... Um, redo some of the volumes on the actual audio files themselves hmm. because um, basically what they had to do was they uh, to make that happen they took the audio files and recorded them as loud as possible and then for, for the SD to SNES mm -hmm. and then for the emulators they went into the code and turned the volume down gotcha so what we really want is we want the, so the emulators were correct if that makes sense. The, yeah. the emulators were correct, and the, the problem was with the SD to SNES. So now, if you, now that the SD to SNES is correct, the audio files are way too loud because they were boosted to be way too loud to make up for... In, in the menu, you're able to, uh, to do a volume boost selection. Right, that, that's, that's, the, that's the new fix for it. Right. That's the right way of fixing it. The but other the, fix for the audio it is... Um, files. Well, Akari actually just posted a guide this week. It's actually part of the news I mentioned that uh, he posted a guide on how to install a new op amp, so mm -hmm. it'll boost the yes. SD to SNES volume, you know, very high, um, right. and that way you could use the menu to to lower it. So uh, it kind of, you know, it, it's a bit of an extreme solution, but it works if uh, you don't. Well, have it's it's the proper solution. It's the the lack of the op amp was actually the original problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was why it was too quiet in the first place. So the, the firmware was kind of a, a hacky workaround to to fix it without the hardware revision. Mm -hmm. And now the new uh, revision H, I think, boards have the op amp, which is the correct fix. That's right, yeah. Oh, man, so, I don't know about that. I don't have to yeah, it's, and it's, that it's been this big, complicated <laughs> thing, but the, the end result is that right now 
um, any of the audio packs that were made to work around this, um, the audio files are too loud. So I'm actually working on going through all of the audio packs I can find and fixing the volume levels and re-uploading them. Hmm. So I'll, I'll probably have to get a hold of Smoke Monster and, and see about uh, fixing his packs too. I know I've already talked with Khan, and Khan's put up the new packs. And Yeah, I'll get you his direct email. <clears throat> I'm sure he'd, uh, he'd love to have direct contact with you anyway because... Um... I'm sure all of all of us actually should probably get on the same page with these things because having a repository to have all these is, is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm always very careful about never posting direct links and always saying just Google Smoke Monster. That way we don't get anybody's forum in trouble or anything like that. So, right, it's probably good. Yeah. So that's awesome, though. I mean, I, we, I'm sorry I got us a little off topic here, but that yeah, actually applies okay. directly to your work. So it's, but uh, so the Zelda DX, you know, you could look for it. You you don't need the MSU. You could just play it with the the regular Zelda soundtrack if you have a, a regular ROM cart. Um, and then right. if you want, you could either use the reorchestrated or the Link Between Worlds soundtracks that are available. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just a matter of moving the ROM to the different folders and renaming it, right? Um, to to switch between the audio packs? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a matter of which which files do you download. Gotcha. Um, I think I did that too with uh, with two different ones that were used, and all I did was you know I had folder one was orchestrated, and you know folder two was uh, the other one. Um, I think it was like the heavy metal version of uh, of a different uh, game. Okay, yeah. And uh, all I did was just drag the ROM and the save file to the different folder, and then you know then start playing from that folder, and I picked up right where I left off with the different music. Thought it was a really cool feature. Yep. And. Um yeah, because I think the SD to SNES just switched to having a, a saves folder, kind of like uh, SNES 9X does. So yes. if the if you have multiple ROMs and they're both named the same, they'll both use the same save file. Right, right. Um, so that uh, the Zelda DX work. So when I before I derailed our conversation, that's what led you directly to um, working on the um, the version 1.2 of the Parallel Worlds. Correct. And uh, so originally I was going to call it a, like a fork of Parallel Worlds because, you know, Parallel Worlds was not my own project and it had been around for, for so long. Um, so I was just going to add these features and, and call it a day. Um, and then I was looking again at um, some more of, of Khan's patches and I found one that, um, that I didn't include in Zelda DX and that was um, he had a patch to allow the, the bug catching net or um, your level zero sword, which is when you don't have a sword yet and you just have just your bare hands, mm-hmm. um, allowing that to actually stun an enemy. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. And yeah, and that was something that uh, didn't really seem relevant, and I didn't include it in in DX. Um, but I I, try, I thought about it, and I was like, I don't I don't really feel the need for the net to cause a stun, but but that level zero sword was kind of a big deal in parallel worlds because of the entire guardhouse dungeon, right. where you go through the entire dungeon without your sword. Right. And that's something that people have hated for a long time because that dungeon is hard. Yeah. Because you go through the first, like, two-thirds of an entire dungeon without having a sword. And there are soldiers that will see you and chase after you. It's not just the ones that kind of wander around aimlessly. There's the ones that will actually chase you. Mm-hmm. And the only way to damage anyone in that dungeon is um, if there happen to be pots that you can pick up and throw at them. Right. 
Right, so I actually, um, I just had time last night to, to sit down and play for a little while, and um, I don't, I didn't beat the original guardhouse. I'm still on level one. I didn't get the sword yet. And uh, it's, um, I don't know, I, I always go back and forth with games like this, where is it, is it too hard, or is it great that you need to go back and relearn all the patterns of everything and, and then figure it out as you go? Because a lot of those old NES games were like that. You know, like um, mm-hmm. like DuckTales, I always loved that game, Mega Man, and you know, the way you make them replayable is because, you know, you don't just sit down and play through the level on the first try. You have to learn all the patterns and do it. And um, But on the other hand, the original Link to the Past, you know, it varied for each person. Like, my cousin Scott and I were both huge fans of that as a kid. We both started playing it at about the same time, and he would go through one dungeon, you know, on three, walk in with three hearts and beat the thing, and it would take me ten tries to beat it, or vice versa on other ones. So the difficulty level was, was you know, I guess it was for everybody, whereas I would call Parallel Worlds, you know, much more difficult than the original. Yeah, and, um, and part of... Part of the difficulty um, in developing it, um, which I, I think I talked to, I think I talked to Seth, and he he mentioned something about this too. But I ran into the same issue where, um, when you're when you're making a hack like this, you're constantly testing the game. So you play the game, you play the same areas over and over and over and over and over again, and you just get them completely down by muscle memory. And so to you, it feels like it one difficulty level and then to somebody else coming in and just playing the game who hasn't played it 600 times to the exact same level it just completely blows them away because they're they don't have that and i I ran into that you know with with my testing where i got to the end and i'm like yeah i think this is good and then i went back one more time to just try just kind of a blind playthrough where i wasn't where i was trying to play casually and not get everything and i was like man still still some of this stuff is really <clears throat> it was really rough, um, and yeah. So, I my original goal was I did not want to. There were two things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to um, redesign the dungeons because Puzzle Dude already did that, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to try and do that again. I knew I didn't have enough time or focus, or you know, to try and design good dungeons because then you have to design puzzles. You have to. You know, there's there's a lot to it that I just I didn't really want to do, and the other thing I didn't want to do was um, direct damage modifications. You know I didn't want to say, um, okay I'm just going to cut this enemy's health in half because this enemy's too too difficult. You know that ju- that just seemed like like the easy way out for for making things easier. And also then that wouldn't be a 1.2 revision. That would be a different game because it's different difficulties and stuff. Yeah, so so those were those were kind of my two rules, and I, I ended up breaking both of them. But I, I went as far as I could without without touching either of those two things. And then when I did make those changes, I made them as small as possible, um, in very very specific circumstances. Um, and so things like um, being able to stun enemies in the guardhouse, mm-hmm. that you know that's just a gameplay mechanic, but it makes a huge difference in in that entire dungeon. Um, it, still, it adds a very cool perspective to a game we're all familiar with. Being able to punch an enemy and stun them—that's pretty neat. Yeah, um, and so yeah, so you can actually get through that dungeon because there there were some rooms in there where um, you literally could not get through to the next door without going through an enemy that was going to hit you. Mm-hmm. And you only had three hearts, or possibly four, if you managed to get the the heart container in the church beforehand. But um, 
But yeah, I mean, you had a limited number of hearts, and there were certain places where you could not avoid damage, even if you were absolutely perfect. And some of that just felt um, it felt cheap and cruel. And so that was that was kind of my um, very very subjective um, measuring stick. Was I was trying to to uh, deal with the the cheapness. Mm -hmm. I, was, I wasn't trying to make it easy, but I was trying to make it not cheap. Gotcha. Uh, you know. <clears throat> And I, I feel like in in a lot of in a lot of it, I think I've succeeded in that. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's still going to be some rough edges. Um, there's still going to be people who probably hate it and think it's still too hard. But well, if I you've mean, watched any of the YouTube speaking, it'd be my opinion that if you haven't played a link to the past in a while, don't mm -hmm. play that first. Then yeah. go back and play this, and then then you'll you'll probably be a lot better at it. But if you're the type of person who could do a speed run, or you know you're you're an expert at that game, you'd probably love this game. It's yeah. just the right amount of difficulty for that. I I still I'll play DX all the you know all the way through to the end one more time, and then I'll probably revisit this one. Yeah, I mean you go and you watch uh, YouTube videos of people playing parallel worlds, and uh, they pretty much fall into two categories. There's the categories of the the playthroughs with no commentary, and then there's the playthroughs of the commentary that involve a lot of profanity and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so the 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 latter uh, group there, I don't think I'm gonna change any minds, but I, I think for the number of people, like, I, I checked last night, and I think there were over 50,000 downloads of Parallel Worlds on ROMhacking.net, mm -hmm. and um, so there's a lot of people that play that have played this, and for a lot of them, I, I was hoping to, you know, make it a little more enjoyable, and maybe a little less tearing your hair out. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward <clears throat> to playing it. Is there any basic tips that you could give when you're going through this, other than, you know, the, you should probably play Link to the Past all the way through before starting it? Um, one thing that I wasn't able to do that would be, um, I wasn't able to find a way to force you to collect the Cane of Burna. Uh, I don't think there is any way to do that. But um, So you need to collect the Cane of Burna before you go into the, the Hyrule Castle or um, it's Draeger's castle in this game. Um, so when you get the level 2 sword and you cut through the magic barrier and you go into the castle, which in uh, the original Link to the Past, that's where you uh, would get sent to the Dark World. Right. Um, you do not want to end up in the Dark World, or it's the Icy World in this game, without the Cane of Burna. Gotcha. Just and that's, that's always been the case. And that's not a game-breaking uh, bug, right? It's not like you can't get back from that. You, well, the, the problem is that you can't get back until you've beaten several dungeons. And the... Well, until you've beaten the Parallel Tower. Okay. And that's where the difficulty comes, because the Parallel Tower is very difficult, and the King of Burna makes a huge difference in the tower. And so if you don't have the, the cane at that point... Uh, it's it's going to be very difficult to to get through the tower. Gotcha. Um, now for this, uh, uh, I believe it was Puzzle Dude who worked on Parallel Worlds remodel, right? Correct. Yeah. And that basically it, it, it kind of rearranged a lot of the game to be less backtracking, maybe a little bit easier for you know I wouldn't say for your casual Zelda player, but you you wouldn't really need it's not as hard i guess um i think i saw in the forums that he was planning whenever he had time on also applying your applying that i guess mixing your hacks that's the right way to say it right <laughs> so taking um, 1.2 and reapplying his changes to 1.2 not the one from 10 years ago 
Right. So, yeah, Parallel Remodel should eventually get a, a 1.2 release as well. Um, there, there's still a few rough edges on 1.2 that I've discovered over the last day or so. Um, trying for that hard deadline of the 10-year the release on December 31st, um, hard releases are never fun. If for anybody who's ever done software development of any kind, uh, a hard deadline is, uh, you know there's going to be some issues. So I'm kind of waiting on um, people to play it and to get the feedback on that. And there might be a, I don't know what I'm going to call it. I don't know if it'll be a 1.2.1 or maybe just bump it all the way to a 1.3 or something. So there, there might be, or there will probably be uh, a slight update at some point in the future. And once that's all ironed out, then I'll work on, you know, working with Puzzle Dude to update remodel. And I think uh, Red Scorpion also just contacted me about uh, pulling the, the changes into his translation as well. The German so, translation, right, yeah. Gotcha. Right. So I do want to see, you know, all of those get updated as well. But I'd, I want to try and, you know, smooth off all the rough edges first. Gotcha. And the best place to find uh, updates on this is just the Zeldix forum to- topic of this one, correct? Correct, yeah. Right. That's, I'll post that's a where I've been everybody posting. in there as well. So. That's where I've been posting, you know, anything as it, as it goes. So. so I'm going to leave myself a note so I don't forget to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, so now you were also, uh, were, weren't you at least a small part of the Conqueror's Bad Fur Day project? Um, a, a little bit, um... I, I provided some testing and feedback, and then I did all of the MSU1 audio for it. And, and by that, uh, other people did the actual music, and then I, I looped the files and converted them for, for the MSU pack. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, that was actually one of the, the topics that uh, I got locked out of on there by, by accident. Mm. Um, was there, I think they were aiming for a hard release date for that as well. Did they, um, did they make that for the final update? Uh, like a week ago, it, it sounded like, no, they, I don't think they were going to make it, and I didn't see anything about a release. So um, I think they were trying for a 1.1 on the 31st, and I... I haven't seen that happen, so gotcha. I think at this point it's just an it's going to happen when it's going to happen kind of thing. And are these game-breaking <clears throat> bugs that they found, or would you be able to, to play it without too much issues? Uh, well, the, the, the 1.0 release was fully playable, as far as I know. Um, I didn't really keep track of what, what changes were being made in the 1.1, but it was a lot of just a lot of minor stuff that, that people found once it went into a, a wide release and a lot more people looked at it. Because um, kind of like what I was talking about with the difficulty thing before, if uh, when you're the one who's making it and you're the one who's sitting there playing it over and over and over through the same things, you tend to fall into the same patterns. Mm-hmm. You know where everything is, so you're going to, a lot of times you uh, you just travel the same routes and you don't, you know, you don't go down the wrong paths, and so a lot of times you don't run into some of the stuff that eventually does get found by new users who have never seen it before, and they do a lot more wandering and, and trying a lot of things that you wouldn't have thought to try. Right, right. Yeah, always having a different perspective <clears throat> and a different set of eyes on things usually changes everything in any project that you're working on, really. So that's always yeah. it's funny to see. I um, I played through... And maybe only like 20 minutes of the the 1.0 release, and I thought there were a few things that I actually literally laughed out loud for some of the dialogue. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I enjoyed it. 
Um, and for yeah. I guess for anybody that doesn't know that project, uh, Khan talked about it a little bit when I had him on. But basically, it's um, just um, it was based off of the Link to the Past engine. But you uh, you play as Conquer from, uh, uh, and there's just a bunch of craziness in it, right? I mean, how would you describe that? I guess. Uh, I've only played about halfway through, but um, I know originally that started out as it was going to be parallel universes, and it was supposed to be kind of like a, a spiritual successor to parallel worlds. Mm -hmm. And then uh, throughout the process, it eventually morphed into uh, being a Conquer game, and then they threw in a whole bunch of pop culture references and fourth wall breaking and, and stuff like that. And it's a lot of fun, and they definitely did... Um, tone down the difficulty level it's a lot more comparable to um you know the standard zelda game difficulty it's not a hard mode patch like parallel worlds was mm -hmm. um in some places it, it's going to be more difficult than a link to the past but um just overall it's it's definitely meant for a wider uh wider audience of of people in that regard and yeah the as much of it as i played i i really enjoyed it and yeah, and it's definitely meant for people that don't offend easy. <laughs> yeah, de definitely. I mean, uh, yeah. Some uh, some crude humor in it. I like it, but I have a twisted sense of humor, so not sure if that's a good judge of it. But uh, So um, are you involved in any other Zelda projects? Because on Zeldix, there's a ton of ROM hacks, and I'm never really sure which ones to play. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not really directly involved in any. I you know I hang around in the forums, and whenever somebody asks a question that I happen to know the answer to, I I chime in. Or if I think I can figure out the answer, sometimes I'll dig around a bit and try and help out. Because um, with the work that I've done in parallel worlds, it's kind of familiarized me with some of the code and where some of the data and stuff is. Um, but direct involvement in any of the projects, no. Um, and as far as I know, I don't really know of any other projects that are coming to like a, a completed state. There's a lot of like works in progress, um, and I, I could be wrong about that in, in terms of there there might be some that are ready, but I I don't know. I think I saw at least one or two that said that they were complete Zelda hacks for the whole game. But oh yeah, there there is the there is the like sub forum of completed hacks. Um, yeah, I, I I haven't really spent much time. In there, I mostly spend time in the discussions on on current work. Gotcha. I gotta go back and see which ones are uh, are worth playing, which ones are unfinished. Because I kind of I did that for a while when I had more free time with the uh, the um, Super Metroid patches. So I was actually able to go through and play a lot of different fan hacks, and some of them uh, some of them were great, but it was very linear. So you know, mm -hmm. you just one to the next to the next to the next. It was fun and everything. Others were insanely hard but beatable. And then yeah. some were just not beatable without save states. And those those were the ones that frustrated me the most because, mm -hmm. you know, I would get... Well, the ones that were so insanely hard, you'd know within 10 minutes and I just wouldn't play them. But the, some mm -hmm. of the ones that were designed around save states, you'd get two hours into it and then realize you couldn't beat it on real hardware... I'd start to get yeah. really pissed because I just threw away two hours. I could have been playing something else. So yeah, uh, I the, wish there was like a good guide on that, you know. Yeah, the the whole save states thing, like that, that was another like with parallel worlds. There there was a lot of spots in there that feel like they were designed around save states, and that was that was one of my goals was that the the game should you know still be hard, but it should be beatable without save states. 
So gotcha. um, I did a I did a my um, my YouTube uh, uh, Twitch uh, playthrough that I did. I was trying for a no death, no cheats, no save states run, and I got no deaths except for uh, one of my segments with uh, I think it was Din's Catacombs that I was actually babysitting that day, and. Uh, so a, a three-year-old running around and kind of distracting me. And so I, I died a couple of times in that one, but they were all totally, like, um, avoidable deaths. It was it was definitely a, I was distracted and got hit. It wasn't anything that was uh, unavoidable. So I, I feel like I, I think, I feel like I succeeded in that one as well. Because I, I didn't want it to be. without any save states or anything? Correct, yeah. No, no save states, just normal saves and... Um, and other than those couple of deaths, I, I did it without dying, too, so... That's pretty cool. Um, what now, I saw on your YouTube channel, you did the full playthrough, and it was, what, about six hours to go through the whole game? Um, I think it was a little more than that. I think I did it in 12 segments, and I feel like each of the segments was about an hour. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. So, yeah, it's about a 12-hour completion. Yeah, and that's for somebody who's an expert at the game. <laughs> yeah, and and also it's a one hundred percent playthrough. So, oh, okay. Um, although with this game, you pretty much end up getting to one hundred percent if you want to beat it, because you got to go out and collect all of the the heart pieces. Gotcha. Because the the bosses don't give you heart containers like they do in in the other games. You get all the hearts by finding them. Right, you know, I just gotta leave myself a note. I should put a link to your playthroughs in those, because that for anybody who's stuck in a part, that you'd be able to kind of scroll through and and find out what you did in order to beat it. So yeah, and I'm I've been working on a um a, a website with with maps and a walkthrough and stuff. Um, been working on that longer than uh, longer than the the game itself uh, since like 2012. Oh wow, really? I think so. Yeah, it's it's been kind of slow going because originally, um, I didn't have I wasn't able to use like Hyrule Magic or anything like that for the for the maps. Mm -hmm. So I literally had to make the the maps manually with screenshots, and then stitching them all together. The old school way. Yeah, and so uh, that was a a lot of work. Um, so the the uh, the website is still a work in progress. Now that the is that out. available for the public, though, even though it's a yeah. work of progress? It's, yeah, it's uh, zelda.cordimoto.com. I'm going to write that down. zelda.cordimoto.com. Yeah. And uh, don't use the download link for the game on there. Uh, that's not been updated for 1.2. Um, so romhacking.net for the actual patch. Yeah, romhacking.net, and then for MSU1, um, I should have everything over to Smoke Monster by the end of the week, so that's probably the easiest way for people to download that. Okay. Um, you you mentioned something. For, oh, I should I should mention something real quick. Um, for for parallel worlds, it does use three three extra tracks that are not in the uh, link to the past uh, pack. So go to the the Zeldix, um topic, and there's a link for that one. And so don't don't use a a link to the past pack for parallel worlds because it'll be missing those three Zeldix. tracks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, what was the thing that you just mentioned that made, uh, when you're talking about the maps, the Hyrule, um... Oh, Hyrule Magic is a, it's a, an editor for the Link to the Past game. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can open it up and you can 
uh, edit the dungeons, you can move enemies around, and basically that's like the tool that everybody has used for making these Link to the Past hacks. So that's the editor. modern tool. So when, when Seth and Euclid first made this, they, that didn't exist, right? No, it, it, I'm pretty sure it did. Oh. Um, it's the, the problem with Hyrule Magic is that it's very buggy, and it's very easy to um, make a mistake that will completely trash your ROM, and now you have to start over. Um, and it's closed source, so nobody can fix it. So there's been some people that have, you know, started to make their own editors, but for the most part, Hyrule Magic is still the, the main editor in use uh, for people who don't want to, you know, manually do everything by hand. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. Cool. Well, this was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about this different Zelda hacks, and you know, I'm always, uh, always really interested in stuff like this. Uh, is there anything I missed? Anything I forgot to talk about? You think? No, from you know the Zelda stuff. Um, Chrono Trigger's coming up. That'll be a fun one. Oh yeah, weren't you working on that project as well? I am. Uh, that was a, that was part of the reason why I ended up working to the very last minute on. Um, Parallel Worlds because I kind of procrastinated on Parallel Worlds and started working on Chrono Trigger instead um, but trying to bring the uh, the motion or the, the FMV anime videos into the Super NES Chrono Trigger oh that's awesome that, yeah that was one of the that was like one of the first tech demos that was ever done for the original prototype of the MSU one mm-hmm. and but it was only the intro video I think it was SMK Dan that that did that one, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he, all he did was just the intro video, not not all of the in-game cutscenes, and kind of since then everybody has been like, man, I wish somebody would would finish that hack. So um, this is basically the Chrono Trigger game with MSU one audio and the cutscenes put in. Yes. Is the game itself really hacked or edited at all, other than adding those features? Nope. Um, I, I haven't made any other changes to it, and I don't plan to. Um, eventually, uh, I've got it all in like a source code form, which will make it so that um, if any other projects want to use it, mm-hmm. they would be able to. Um, like people have done like retranslations, um, right? Yeah, and, and and things like that 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 they could merge their patches in. Uh, it won't just work as is, because I did have to go into the the actual game script, like the game has an event scripting engine, mm-hmm. and so I had to insert these videos as events into the event script. Um, so if anybody else has made any changes to the event script, like for for text changes and stuff like that, you can't just apply one patch and then apply the other patch. They'll they're right over top of each other. Gotcha. So basically, the people who did the retranslations will have to take yours and start again with that then. Yeah, well, they wouldn't have to start entirely again. What what I'll do is um, I'll actually split my patch into two halves, um, one that's all of the code and the other that is just the... Well, I, it won't really be two halves. It'll be the, the patch that everybody uses um, to play the game, which has everything. And then for other hack authors, I will just extract my own code mm-hmm. and then have like a list of instructions that says, okay, so if you want to insert... Uh, the videos, you need to go to this event and you need to add these event triggers at this point. Gotcha. So they'll, they'll have to go in and edit the script themselves, but it's only like three or four uh, event triggers. Per, to so were the retranslations that big of a deal? Because I know for some games, uh, especially the original NES games, they were a huge deal because the translations were pretty terrible. Um, was it as big a deal with the Chrono Trigger, you think? 
I I haven't actually played one of the one of them, so I don't really know. Gotcha. And do you have a, a basic target release date? No, no hard date, obviously. But that one, no. Um, it's mostly done at this point. It's it's playable all the way through. The only thing that is not implemented is the two videos in the ending credits. Okay. Because I still don't know actually where they play, and with that game, there's 13 different endings. And so I need to actually get my hands on some save states from the PlayStation version so that I can go through and play all 13 endings and see which, which endings play which cutscenes. Gotcha. Yeah, because there's a bunch of um, playthroughs, uh, like up on YouTube, but they usually cut out the, the cutscene, or the anime cutscenes, and I don't necessarily know that that's exactly where it plays or whether or not they edited the video to just play it at the end or yeah all that so gotcha okay i still have to figure out those two and then um finish a full playthrough because the um the audio engine in chrono trigger is a lot more complicated than the one in zelda so there's a lot more weird corner cases and they do a lot of interesting tricks that that zelda doesn't do mm -hmm. um that i have to figure out how to either implement those tricks or how to work around them so that those tricks don't cause bugs in the MSU stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so like one, one thing they did was um, uh, you go into the cathedral and you, you play the organ and the organ opens up a secret passage. So they did this really cool thing where there's only one audio track that plays at a time, but the, the original SPC has an echo. Um, it has an echo buffer. And what they did, what, and the, uh, so the echo buffer has a separate volume level from the main audio track. So what they did was you play the organ, and then it, you hit the, the last chord of whatever you're playing, and it just sustains on that and slowly fades out. Well, what they did was they loaded that last chord into the echo buffer and then did a fade out with the echo buffer while they turned off the original track and started fading in the next one. So it actually it crossfades. That's pretty creative, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing an echo of my voice. Oh. And Still? Um, yeah, a little bit. No, oh, I'm sorry, man. Let me, uh, That's all right. Am I screwing anything up? Um, well, if it's still happening, we might have to cut it short. My stuff might have just gone crazy, but... Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, but, so, yeah, so they, they do cool tricks like that, but it, it makes it kind of hard to, to get it right. And how how do you handle that? Because the MSU one can't do a crossfade. Mm -hmm. um, there's no there's no echo, there's no second channel or anything like that. And so, originally it it sounded like it was fading out, and then it would just chop it off really hard, and it, it sounded really really bad when that happened. So, yeah. um, trying to trying to find all those places where they did those cool tricks, and that's that's the main thing that's left to figure out for for the for Chrono Trigger is. Very cool. To deal with some of that stuff. Man, I already know a few people who are going to be just <coughs> thrilled about that and dying to play it. So that that's cool. Good work. Anything else on your plate coming up? I mean, that's a pretty big undertaking in itself, obviously. Yeah. Um, currently, not really. That's that's most of what I'm doing right now. But I'm sure I'll find something else to uh, you know to work on. Yep. 
Well, thanks so much for taking the time to do the interview and everything. I'm just uh, really glad I got to pick your brain about this and uh, to finally talk about Parallel Worlds for a little while because I think a lot of people just uh, maybe are shied away from it because they thought it was too hard or anything. So very cool to get the insight. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I tried to make it you know, more accessible to people, and I, I hope that comes through, and I hope that people enjoy it. And cool. I, I've always liked it, so... Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. I'm sure I'll have you back on when uh, Chrono Trigger is released, uh, and I'll see everybody else next week. All right. Thanks.